0: Anything and everything that she could to find a flight home to get to her son. Kevin was left at home alone in Chicago while his parent, his, the rest of his family was in Paris on vacation for Christmas. Uh, yes, I'm talking about Home Alone, the movie. Kate, his mom, was, was doing anything and everything that she could to get back home to Kevin. Kevin. She was talking with the ticket agent and pleading with them over and over again, please, is there anything that you can do to get me on a flight back to the States? She was not going to leave that airport until she got on a flight, right? She said, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be present in this airport just in case there's any way that I can get on a flight to get back home to my precious son, she eventually ran into these, uh, this couple, and she begged them, "Please, please, let me have these tickets that you have on this, this flight that you're about to get on." And she was even willing to give up 500 dollars, her watch, her earrings, two first-class tickets, just a couple of days later, her pocket translator, all of these things. So a great cost for her to be able to get on that flight to get back to the States. They accepted her offer and she flew to Dallas. And then from Dallas, she flew to Scranton and then she got stuck in Scranton. And so she had to get on the rental van with the Polka band, right? And, and drive all the way back from Scranton to Chicago. She traveled over 11,000 miles in just the span of a couple of days. Why did she do all of this? Why did she do all of that? Well, it's because there was someone so valuable to her that she would do anything and everything to get back to her precious son, her treasure. She treasured Kevin more than all of her possessions, all of her money, and she was willing to give up all of that. And she was willing to exhaust herself in in traveling over 11,000 miles over the span of a couple of days just to get back to her son as quickly as possible. And in our text this morning, we're going to see a similar idea. These two parables, these two different men, giving up everything, giving up everything for a hidden treasure in a field and a pearl of great value. So let's read Matthew thirteen forty four through 46. This is God's word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Church, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you so much that we have access to it. And we thank you for these two parables that we are going to be taking a look at this morning. God, would you open up our eyes to how beautiful, how magnificent, and how valuable your kingdom is. Lord, we pray for anybody in here this morning who has not become a member of your kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh God, would you help them to see that you are infinitely valuable And that it is worth giving everything up in this world just to know you. God, would they turn their eyes to Jesus this morning, place faith and trust in him and repent of their sin so that they may have life and be a member of your kingdom. And God, for those of us who do know you, who are members of your kingdom, oh God, would we be radically transformed by the infinite value of your kingdom? And would it lead us to live lives, to build your kingdom, to spread the gospel to the nations? And Lord, may it give us a joy and a rest because we have a future hope that our king has come and he will come again. We pray this in faith, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, I just want to explain and interpret these uh, the text, and then we'll, we will get to some application later. But uh, the first thing is that these two, uh, the, these three verses, there are two parables. Um, so in fact, the whole uh, chapter 13 is, is focused on parables. And so what is a parable? Uh, a parable is a, is, is a story that uses comparison to illustrate a spiritual truth. So it's a story uh, used uh, that uses comparison to illustrate a spiritual truth reality. And in order to help the, the, his listeners often understand uh, a spiritual truth, especially about the kingdom of heaven in our text, uh, Jesus would use common everyday examples. Uh, he, would, he would use farming and fishing examples. Uh, we, we see those in chapter 13. And uh, he wanted to use those everyday examples in order to uh, communi- communicate and teach a spiritual reality uh, to his audience. Now, some people who were hearing his parables were perplexed. They were thinking, this guy's kind of crazy. This guy's kind of wonky. What is he talking about? And they were left uh, without understanding of his parables. But then there were many people who would hear his parables and, and they would come to understand the spiritual truth that he was trying to get across to them. And it would leave them going forth and living a transformed life. And that is what I pray this morning, that as we take a look at these parables this morning, that we would be a people who hear and understand his word and that then go and live lives in light of the spiritual truth that we see. So a parable is a story that illustrates a, uh, a spiritual truth using a comparison. And this spiritual truth that we see Uh, in in these verses is talking about the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom of heaven? David Platt uh, summarizes it this way. He says, the kingdom of heaven is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. The redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. So he has all authority. He's ruling. Uh, He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's reigning, so he is seated on his eternal throne and he is the sovereign king over all things. Now, it is certainly true that that God is uh, the sovereign uh, ruler and reigner over all of the universe, right? Over everything. But our text uh, this morning is it's really referring to uh, just God's rule and reign through the redemptive work of Christ. As you look at the Gospel of Matthew, as you look at the context of that, that is mainly what he is focusing on when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So he's, he's uh, showing his authority as he redeems sinful mankind back to himself through faith in Jesus Christ. And the kingdom is here. It has come. So, as Jesus says at the beginning of his ministry, the the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So he has come. But the kingdom is also advancing, right? uh, As you look at the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9, and 10, uh, he says uh, that he prays for, we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's this this, uh, idea that the kingdom is advancing currently, right? But then there's also a future hope to the kingdom. We know that our Lord, King Jesus, will return one day, and he will make all things new, and the kingdom will be fully realized. So we are living in between the times. There is an already uh, component to uh, the kingdom, but then there's also a not yet. It's not completely realized, so we are living in between the times as the church so now that we've defined our terms of parable and kingdom of heaven, let's uh, seek to unpack these, uh, these parables here. The item that we see in both of these parables to illustrate uh, the spiritual truths um, is treasure. So a treasure is, a, uh, is a, an accumulated wealth uh, in the form of money, uh, or it could be jewels or just any other valuable thing. Uh, That is what a treasure is. And so in verse 44, we see uh, the the hidden treasure in a field. So Israel would have uh, experienced many uh, foreign powers coming in and taking over uh, their land. Uh, There was a lot of... Uh, of warfare, and so one of the things that they would do is they would bury their treasure to hide it, right? They, w- they would hide their treasure so that their captors would not uh, take their uh, treasure, or, or anybody else for that matter. And they didn't have a, you know, a bank or a safe during that time, and so they would, they would hide their treasure in the field. So it was very common for people to do this in that time. Now, what wouldn't be common is just randomly coming across a treasure, Right? Uh, just coming across a treasure in a field, that would be very, very uncommon. But that is exactly what we see uh, happening here in this parable. This man uh, just happened to to come across a hidden treasure in this field. Now, according to the law during this time, if if he had uh, uh, retrieved that treasure from the field when he first found it, then the rightful owner of that would have been the owner of the land. He would have been the one that would have uh, been able to take that treasure from this man who found it. Even though he found it, it wasn't finders keepers uh, in that that time. Uh, The law was that the owner would get that treasure. And so what does this man do? Well, in his joy, he goes and he sells everything that he has, and he buys that field that has the hidden treasure buried in it. So the the treasure that the man found was worth more than all that he owned, everything that he owned. And so he joyfully said, I'm going to give up all of this stuff in order to purchase that field so that I can get that infinitely valuable treasure. Although he sold everything, which which is a great cost, he ended up with something far more valuable and far more precious. So what about the pearl of infinite value, the pearl of great value in verses 45 and 46? We see this merchant. So this guy who was a a trader um, going by ship to sell and trade product. And this particular merchant, he was looking for fine pearls. Uh, He was looking for uh, pearls that were free from impurities or had a high degree of purity Uh, And and a pearl is literally just a smooth, lustrous, round structure that's found inside of clams or oysters. And this merchant, as he was on his hunt, he found this pearl that was of great value, of infinite worth. And so he decided, I'm going to sell everything that I have just so I can get that one tiny little precious pearl. This pearl of great value. Now I do want to be clear here. Uh, one way that we could misconstrue these this this parable, these parables, is to think that we could just buy our way into the kingdom. Right? Uh, that could be a temptation for us to interpret it that way, to say, "Oh, if I just give enough, if I give enough money, give enough wealth, uh, then I could just purchase my way into the kingdom." No, no, the the meaning of the parables is to show the infinite worth of the kingdom, not that we can purchase our way into the kingdom. So we should realize how great, how precious, how valuable the kingdom of God is to the extent that we would be willing to give up everything that we own just to be a part of the kingdom, if that's what it took. That's the point. So the main point is that the kingdom of God is infinitely valuable. The kingdom of God is infinitely valuable. Perhaps a helpful way for us to put this into perspective uh, would be to consider this in some financial terms, because that's, that's what, what would make sense for us today. The latest COVID relief package that is working its way through Congress right now is uh, is at a price tag of one point nine trillion dollars one trillion dollars is the equivalent of one thousand billion dollars, and one billion dollars is one thousand million trillions one point nine trillion dollars is one thousand nine hundred billion dollars or another way to put it is one dollars of dollars. It's a lot of money. And just to put this into perspective a little bit more, what could we do with $1.9 trillion? Well, for one thing, if you wanted a whole bunch of cars, you could buy about 82 million of them. If you wanted to pay for about 270 billion hours of labor at minimum wage, you could do that too if you wanted to. If you wanted to pay a year's salary for about 35 million teachers, you could do that if you wanted to be generous with it. Or, kids, this may be your favorite. Listen up to this one. You could buy two about 2.5 trillion candy bars. You could do a lot with $1.9 trillion, right? But the point is, is that the kingdom of God is worth far more than even 1.9 trillion dollars. We could continue to increase that number, and we would never find anything that is more valuable than the kingdom of God. All of the money, all of the possessions on the earth, put them together, and it's still less than the value of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is infinitely valuable. So now that we have explained and interpreted this par- these parables, let us consider just some ways that we should respond to the, the, the value of the kingdom of God. Not only should we be willing to give up everything in order to be a part of the kingdom of God, but it should just transform how we live as members of the kingdom of God. So what should our response be to the value, the infinite value, of the kingdom of God. So we must first start with a, the most foundational question. First of all, are you a member of God's kingdom? Are you a member of God's kingdom? Have you repented of your sin and placed faith in Jesus Christ alone to rescue you from your sins? If not, what are the things in your life that are preventing you from believing in Christ? What are the barriers that are up for you that are preventing you from believing in Christ? Uh, there could be a, 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 a whole bunch of reasons why, but I just want to look at a couple. Based off of the parable of the sower, that is just uh, earlier in chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, we see the parable, and uh, 18 through 23, we see the explanation. Just a couple of things in there. One of the, one of the uh, barriers could be tribulation or persecution in light of your spiritual interest in, uh, in, in Christ, your, your interest in Christ. Perhaps there's even those that are closest to you, your family members or your friends, who because you have an interest in learning and exploring more about Jesus, that they are, that they are separating themselves from you. And you know there can be pressure, right? There can be pressure. Family and friends are, saying, are getting on to you for your spiritual interest. It can be tempting to just say, I'm just going to keep the peace. I, I, want, I want my family to like me. And that's not a bad thing. But, but I want them to like me so much that I'm just not going to go anymore. Uh, I'm not going to look into this Jesus thing anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away from Jesus because I want my family, uh, my close friends, to like me and to be accepted by them. But friend, listen to this. If the kingdom of heaven is truly of infinite value, and it is, then would it not be worth it to endure through that persecution, that tribulation that you may be experiencing, perhaps even from those who are closest to you? Your relationship with your family and your friends and the people of this world, it may be strained because of your faith in Jesus Christ or your interest in uh, pursuing a relationship with Christ. But listen to this glorious news. When you enter into the kingdom of God, you have a heavenly father who adopts you as his son, as your, his son or daughter. And you have brothers and sisters in the church who care for you and walk alongside you, even through those persecutions and those trials. So although your earthly family and friends may not accept you, you have a heavenly family, a spiritual family that will love and care for you. You have a heavenly father who cares infinitely for you as well. So don't let the persecution, the tribulation that comes from others to prevent you from entering into the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Another Barrier may be the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of riches. Are there desires? Are there worldly things? Are there, is, is money or anything else in this world preventing you from surrendering to the lordship of Christ? Are you so focused on your worldly efforts of achieving uh, success in your job and just increasing your wealth, that you're not willing to lay those things aside in order to enter the kingdom? 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, nothing into the world, and what will we leave this world with? Nothing. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. We can achieve all of the worldly success, acquire all the wealth possible, buy our dream vacation home, but guess what? We can't take any of that with us. We brought nothing into this world and we are leaving with nothing. I don't know about you all, but I have never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. I've never seen that. That's because we can't take anything into the grave with us. So friend, how might, how might the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the fact that it is of infinite value, change the way that you look at all of the things in this world? The wealth, the material things, how might that change the way that you view all of these worldly things. It should radically change the way that you do. Consider that question, friend, as you wrestle with the faith, as you wrestle with, is, is, is this gospel, is it truly true? Is it the truth? Consider that, wrestle with that. As we've seen in these parables, the kingdom of God is of infinite value. But I do want to be honest about the great cost of discipleship. So the man who bought the field and the man who bought the the pearl of great value, they gave up everything. They gave up everything in order to just purchase that land and purchase that pearl. And in a similar way, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It is not easy. There is a great cost, But it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Although there is great cost, there is an inexpressible joy that comes with being a member of God's kingdom. Think about the the man who sold everything to buy the field. It says in his joy, in his delight, he went and he sold all of his possessions in order to get that that field with the hidden treasure in it, in his joy, brought him great delight. One commentator says that once the kingdom of heaven is truly understood, nothing else can compare with it in value. And so therefore we can joyfully say, I will give up everything in order that I may have Christ. So friend, I urge you to repent Of your sin. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Trust in his work, his perfect life, his substitutionary atonement, his death on the cross. He took our place, he took our penalty on the cross, and he was buried and he rose again on the third day so that you and I could become members of the kingdom through faith in Christ. It will cost you your life. It will cost you everything. But you will get something that is infinitely more valuable. In fact, let's be crystal clear. The cost of not following Jesus is far greater than the cost that you would pay in order to follow him. Because the cost of not following Jesus, the the just wages, the just payment For not following Jesus is eternal damnation. It is separation from God in hell for eternity. Friend, that is a great cost. So turn from your sin and trust in Christ. He alone can save you. He alone can. So the first response to the infinite value is to become a member of the kingdom. And the second response we will focus on is to live a life to build the kingdom. Live a life to build the kingdom. I do want to go back to just thinking about the cost of discipleship uh, for a second. Because I think we need to be reminded of this as believers even. Um, it's great cost to enter into the kingdom, but then there's also great cost to continue in the kingdom, right? Consider the original audience, his disciples. Matthew 4, 18 through 22 says this. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And listen to this, immediately, immediately, They left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And again, immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. These guys had jobs. They had families. And they just immediately left everything and began to follow Christ. Think about Matthew 9, 9, where Matthew or Levi is working in the tax booth, and Jesus comes up to him and he says, follow me, and immediately he leaves his, his livelihood. He leaves his job as a tax collector, and he follows Christ. Or think about Matthew 19, where the, you have the parable of the rich young man, and in the context of all of that, after he tells that story, Peter says, he references the fact that they have left everything. Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We've left our livelihood. We've left our our family. We've left what we've known in order that we might have you, in order that we might follow you. So to be a disciple of Jesus necessarily means that we live a self-denying, sacrificial life self-denying, sacrificial life. So we no longer live for ourselves or our fleshly desires, but we seek to please God. We seek to live for his glory, not our own. And we no longer orient how we spend our days, our time, based solely off of what we want to do personally, but what God would have us do and what would bring him glory, what would magnify Christ. We no longer just try to get by on our own strength and isolate ourselves from other people, right? But rather we allow others to speak into our lives and we sacrifice time in order to serve others. We don't isolate ourselves from one another. We don't seek to do things on our own strength, but we sacrifice our own lives, our own time, our own efforts, our own money in order to serve and build up one another. We no longer pursue our own plans for our lives, but we, pursue, we, we submit our plans humbly to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus. Think back to the parables in our text. Again, it costed these men everything to get the, hidden, the, the field with the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. There was a great cost That they paid. Although the cost of discipleship is great, it is so worth it because we receive an infinitely valuable inheritance in Jesus Christ. The final three ways I want to focus on is in building the kingdom, is is really going back to what we've been going through over the last several weeks in our gather, grow, go. Just want to break this down into, into those sections. Gather, grow and go. So one: gather. I want to be clear, the church is not the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom itself, um, but the church is foundational to building the kingdom. The church is foundational to advancing the kingdom. Uh, the church represents King Jesus on Earth. We, we, the bride of Christ, represent him on this earth. He has given us the keys of the kingdom in order that we may speak for heaven on earth, right? And the church is the vehicle, the means by which God is spreading his kingdom to the nations. So, so church is a vital part of the kingdom, and at the very essence, at the very core of what the church is, is the fact that we are a people who gather, that we are a people who assemble ourselves together for corporate worship, to hear the word, to pray the word, to observe the word through the ordinances, all of those things, to sing the word. So we are a people who gather so without the assembling of the saints, we cease to exist as a church. And if the church is the means by which the kingdom of God is spread to the nations, and if, if, and if at the very core of what the church is, is the fact that we gather as a people, then we should be a people who highly value the gathering of the saints, particularly on Sunday mornings. So we should gather We should gather as the people of God. Secondly, grow. If we are to be a part of building the kingdom, then we should be growing ourselves in our faith. You know, John 15, our role is to abide in Christ. He is the vine, we are the branches, we abide in him, and apart from him, there is no fruit. We can do nothing. So we are abiding in Christ. So an intimate relationship with Jesus is foundational for us to be able to build the kingdom of God. One question that I think uh, could help us think about this as far as our own growth in relation to our text this morning is what are you treasuring? What are you treasuring? And I think below that question, is how do we know what we're treasuring? Because that can help us to identify what we are actually treasuring. So how do we, how do we identify that? Well, a couple of ways that we could do that is just evaluating our time. What, what are the things that we spend our time doing? What are the things that fill our calendars? Because that is what, what is important to us, right? We do what is important to us. Perhaps underneath that, a question to consider is are my possessions ruling my time? Are my possessions ruling my calendar? And what I mean by that is, what are the things that you're spending a a ton of time on? Maybe it's your your cars, maybe it's your house projects, right? Where that's maybe that's all that's filling your calendar. Or your boat, your vacation home. Maybe it's your TV, the the possession of your your TV and you got all your shows and all your movies and everything and that is ruling your life. What are the things things, uh, that you own ruling how you spend your time? Now, of course, those things are not bad. Uh, we should seek to to make our houses look good, and we should do house projects, and we should make sure our cars are taken care of and it 's okay to enjoy some TV shows and that sort of thing. But are those things ruling your calendar are they are they, are, are they is it unequally weighted towards those things rather than focusing on things that uh, are building the kingdom secondly money we we see where somebody Uh, somebody's treasure is by looking at their budget, right? We see what what we treasure by how we spend our money because we are going to buy things that are important to us, right? At least I would hope. I hope that we don't just blow our money on things that are unimportant to us. So how are we spending our money? And then thirdly, thoughts. What are the things that are consuming our minds? What do we spend our minds thinking about? What are we setting our minds on As we read from Colossians 3, are we setting our minds on things above or is all we're thinking about are the things on earth? So as we reflect on these questions, just evaluate your heart and consider what am I treasuring? What is my uh, greatest treasure? Is it the things of this world or is it Christ? Let me put it this way. What worldly things are you clinging so closely to that you need to loosen your grip on? That you need to loosen your grip on so that you can cling more tightly to your precious Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom everlasting riches is found. So what are the things that you need to loosen your grip on in order that you may cling more tightly to your precious Savior, Jesus not only must we be growing ourselves, but we should be seeking to help others grow, as we've been saying over the last several weeks. I just want to read a couple of sections from our membership covenant uh, here at New Branch. Mutually admonishing. We will keep watch over each other's souls and will not neglect to admonish and exhort one another as occasion may require. So we should lovingly and graciously uh, correct one another according to Scripture, when opportunity allows. We should exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3. Disciple one another. This is another part of the membership covenant. We accept the responsibility of discipling one another in the faith, encouraging gospel growth, missional faithfulness, and a growing love for Jesus and fellow covenant members of all ages. So we should continue to encourage and challenge one another to deny ourselves, to be, not be transformed or conformed to the things of this world, but to be transformed by renewing our minds and living our lives to bring glory to God. We should be speaking the truth in love to build one another up to, to maturity in Christ. We are called to help one another grow. Thirdly, go. We, the church, are Christ's ambassadors on earth. So the U.S. has embassies in all kinds of different nations. You just pick one. Where we have Americans who are on the ground in different countries who represent the United States, who represent us in those foreign nations. And in a similar but far more important way, the church is the embassy of Christ. We are citizens of heaven, yet we are dwelling on this earth. And so we have a dual citizenship and we are his ambassadors. We are the embassy of God who is, who is called to faithfully represent him here on this earth. And one of those roles, one of those privileges that we have as the church, as his embassy, is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To proclaim the message of hope that one can be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. And as we go with the gospel, we can have a confidence Because we know that God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So we can go with the gospel confidently. We can be confident ambassadors for Christ. And as you go with the gospel, just keep in mind that as we represent Christ, as we love and as we serve uh, others, We should be, as we are seeking to display and declare the gospel to others. Because from a worldly standpoint, it doesn't make sense to say that we should live lives that deny ourselves and live for the glory of God. From a worldly standpoint, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute oftentimes. And from a worldly standpoint, it doesn't seem as if The kingdom is of infinite value because we can't visibly see all that God is doing in his kingdom, but we can see all the things of this world. And so it doesn't quite make sense from a worldly standpoint that the kingdom of God is of infinite value. For most people, it will take time to realize that it is worth it to count everything as loss at the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, it will take time for them to come to that realization. But nevertheless, we should be faithfully praying for, displaying the gospel, declaring the gospel to those around us with patience, with love, with grace, with boldness, with confidence, because we know that our God is going to build his church for his glory And as a reminder, one of the tools that we have uh, put into your hands over the last several weeks is the 555 Easter Prayer. And I just want to encourage you to continue uh, to pray for those people, those five people whom you've identified that you are going to pray for for five minutes a day for five weeks, and then seek to invite them on Easter Sunday. That is a means that we can be using to pray for uh, the kingdom to go forth. And so I would encourage you to continue in that. The third and final response to the infinite value of the kingdom that I want to focus on is that we should rest and rejoice in the future hope that you have as a member of God's kingdom. So rest and rejoice in the future hope that you have as a member of God's kingdom. So as I said earlier, brothers and sisters, our king has come, and he will come again, and he will make all things new. Revelation twenty one, one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out from out of heaven from God Nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a glorious truth that our God has come and He will come, and He will make all things new. He will fully realize His kingdom in His second coming. And when the kingdom is fully realized, we will receive that full inheritance that we see in 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. We can bank on this inheritance that we have received through faith in Christ. Our inheritance is imperishable. It lasts forever. Undefiled, it is pure and without blemish and unfading. It will never lose its purity its beauty rest and rejoice in the future hope that you have as a member of God's kingdom the kingdom of God is infinitely valuable church we have an inheritance in the in the gospel that is more valuable than all of the money all of the possessions put together here on this earth There is nothing more valuable than the kingdom of God. And we have a future hope. We have a future hope that this kingdom will be fully realized one day when our king returns. And we will dwell with him. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more mourning. No more crying, no more sin. Perfect, eternal bliss with our heavenly Father. But in the meantime, church, we are to be a people who seek to build God's kingdom in light of its infinite worth. We should prioritize the gathering of the saints. We should be growing in the gospel ourselves, and we should be helping others to grow as well. And we should also be going with the most glorious news of all telling others that Jesus Christ is Lord. Turn your eyes to Him, for He alone can save. Repent of your sin and trust in Him. There's nothing, nothing at all that comes even close. An equal value to the kingdom of heaven. And so may we be a people who set our eyes on the infinite worth, the beauty, the majesty of the kingdom of God, and may it radically transform how we live our lives in the present to seek to joyfully live, live to build the kingdom for his glory, for he alone is worthy, church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the reality that your kingdom is of infinite worth. Lord, that nothing on this earth compares to the value of your kingdom. And so, Lord, we can joyfully say, I will give up everything to enter into this kingdom, to know you, O Lord. Lord, I pray that anybody in here this morning or who's watching online, who has never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, God, that you would help them to see that all the pursuits of this world, the material things of this world, they are not worth anything in comparison to knowing you and to being a member of your kingdom. God, I beg you to open up their eyes to that. And Lord, give them faith to trust in Christ, even if that costs them their lives, everything that they own. God, would they see the infinite and the precious value of being a member of your kingdom? Oh God, I beg you to do that. God, I pray that you would empower us as the church, you're the members of your kingdom. God, will we be a faithful people who are reminded of the infinite value of your kingdom, set our eyes on you and see how precious you are. And God, may that transform how we live in the present. May we seek to build your kingdom until you come again and you set up your rule and your reign, and you make all things new, you wipe away all the tears, when death will be no more and sin will be no more, God, may we be faithful until you return. For you are worthy, O God, because there is nothing more precious and valuable than you. We pray this in faith, in Jesus' name, amen.